attach this. I'm going to put this down here. John chapter 2. Um, in a moment, Chris, would you lead uh, prayer? <coughs> what were you going to say? Yeah. Yes, it is recorded. Yep, thank you. You feel free to remind me of that every single time. Um, I Somebody did not do their job because I was going through looking for uh, Bible classes to listen to, to prepare for this. And there were no less than three, three um, churches that had gone through the book of John and all three of them had failed to record chapter two. So I'd like to publicly thank them for not doing that so that I had to work a little bit harder and grow a little bit more. Um, I thought it might be a conspiracy for a little while there. Uh, but anyway, so uh, one of our themes, real quick before we read the text, we're going to read the text. I'll give you guys an opportunity to uh, point out the things that stood out to you as we go through it. But before we do, uh, one of the themes is that you may believe. Uh, we looked at that in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Um, many things, uh, John did, or Jesus did many things, but these are recorded that we may believe. Uh, Micah pointed out that uh, this Greek word, uh, which is uh, believe, which is to think to be true or put confidence in, it's used nine times in Matthew. It's used 14 times in Mark. It's used nine times in Luke. And it, according to Bible study tools, it's used 85 times in the book of John. So, if we were wondering if that theme from John chapter 20 was really the theme of John, I think that helps support that. So, uh, now it's used, I think, 12, 10, 10 to 12 times in the in chapters 2 and 3 that we're going to be studying today and Wednesday. So, um, so be looking for that theme um, and and noticing when we are presented with evidence that we will believe. When we are given a sign. Okay, so a sign, there are a couple ways we can define the word sign. And I want to point this out up front so that you can be delineating between the two. And that just to get you thinking in both terms. The first is like a miracle. Um, in verse 11... Uh, it, the, the, John calls this a sign, um, and he says this is the first sign, and a lot of times when we think of that, when we read that, we, we go to a miracle, um, a supernatural event, um, and we're going to see that Jesus is going to do what no one can do except for God. Um, so, uh, he asks later, what's easier to say your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? And that may just be, and I think is the crux of any sign that we see. What's easier? And the um, maybe uh, probably I, I think that's a, a trick question, right? What is easier? The, the true answer there is no, it's impossible. Both of them are impossible unless you are God. 
unless you have power over all creation and authority to forgive sins, they're impossible. So as we go through this, uh, I want to consider that's one way that we can see the signs that that uh, are in this text. The other is in a literary device, um, like a symbol. Like I'm going to give you a, a sign or a symbol of this, um, like in order to to teach you something. Jesus taught in parables, and those were illustrations that he used to try and teach a principle about the kingdom. Um, he commanded the prophets to do the same thing, some really strange things, uh, as a symbol or a sign of some deeper principle that he was trying to teach the Israelites. So, um, so I want you to think of both of those terms because I think we're going to see them uh, and maybe we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, okay, so that's, that's our introduction. Um, Chris, would you lead us in a word of prayer and then we'll read the text. Loving God and our Father, thank you so much for the blessings you give us opportunity you've given us this morning to be here and we could uh, talk together about your word. Thank you for providing that for us, this book of John, and help us as we go through it to understand the things that would that would make us believe, that believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he can forgive our sins, and that we can be your children. And we pray this through Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, I was thinking if I stood here that I would be covered for sound. Do I need to put this on? Yes. Oh, this is for the earphone. Okay, I thought it would come through there too. So, all right. Sure, we're gonna pin this. Try. Okay. Is it on now? It's green. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? I think we're having technical difficulties. We're having technical difficulties. Okay, well. Yes, I'll leave it on. And when those difficulties are resolved, then hopefully uh, um, it'll come through. Um, Could we all stand while we read this text? John chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 through 11. I'm reading from the NIV. Um, I want you to notice any differences and and think about uh, the way that the translators, the words they've chosen. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. He told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. 
Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. All right, you can be seated. Okay, real quick, um, I've got a couple maps, I don't know if you can see this real well, but I just wanted to kind of give a little bit of a geographical lesson here so we know um, a little bit about what we're talking about. Just a reminder, um, here's uh, Palestine, that's not just real right, is it? Um, so we're going to be zooming in um, to... Jerusalem, so it should be we're zooming into yeah. um, to this area right here. That that's the body of water there. You know, that's the body. So we'll zoom in. So here's uh, Galilee, or here's Palestine. Most of the events happen in Jesus' time happened here. And if we zoom in further, here's the Sea of Galilee. Again, that's. That's right. Right up here is the Sea of Galilee. Um, Cana is over here just to the west of the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth is just south of Cana. Um, other other cities that you're probably familiar with are Capernaum and Bethsaida uh, are mentioned. They're uh, key individuals that are from those areas. Um, so... Um, what, as we read through that, what um, what did you notice? What what observations did you make in the text? Responsibility. It's not his problem. He's not the master of the banquet. He's not the host. So, but Jesus' mother goes to him to sort this out. Yeah, Micah. Yeah. Right. So the fact that she goes to him at all seems to indicate. That she, that she recognizes he has some ability to do something about this. Uh, and that's, that's curious to me. Like what, what, what was she thinking? What had happened that she had stored up and treasured in her heart that is now coming to mind? Carrie? What were you going to say? Saying? Ryan? That there was a time for Jesus to be doing something like this and this was not the time. Right. So there's a timing, uh, here. Uh, speaking of timing, it, it, it stood out to me, uh, going back to chapter 1, after the prologue, after we see what John the Baptist was teaching, um, is this, I feel like this is really loud, is it, is it okay? Okay, this is mine, okay. Um, in verse 29, it says, the next day John saw Jesus. Verse 35, the next day he saw Jesus again. 
And both times he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Um, then, on the third day, the wedding took place. Chapter 2, verse 1. Um, so, to me, it, uh, the, just, just the chronology and the timing as John is recounting this story it is interesting. Um, the third day after what? The third day after Nathaniel? He saw Nathaniel? Uh, what? What, what was the timing? But regardless of that, and I just kind of wanted to point that out, but it's, it's kind of curious that the way that um, he uses this, uh, this these, these timing markers, Jesus recognizes that there's a timing for his ministry as well. Um, other, other thoughts about this uh, that you notice from the text? Yeah. Uh, if it's not his time, though, he doesn't manifest himself and his power to the master, or even the bridegroom, just to his disciples and servants. Right, yes. Right, the master isn't aware that Jesus did this. He doesn't know where the wine came from. The host doesn't seem to know. Um, that exchange is just between them. It's only the disciples that Jesus reveals his this power, right? This sign is for the disciples. Well, but the servants do too. Oh, and the servants. So it seems like this is a precursor for who he reveals himself to later on. It's just he continues to reveal himself to not be the high official, but to the lowly. Good. Sorry. Say that one more time. I was distracted by whatever was going on in my pocket there. He, that he doesn't reveal himself just to the high and mighty, but uh, honestly. Most times he goes first to, to the lowly. Right, right. So it's not just the important people, the master and the host that he reveals himself to. In fact, he doesn't reveal himself to them. He reveals himself to servants and disciples. Good. Yeah, boy. Uh, in verse 11, it points out that this is where Jesus manifested his glory. And also, it says that the disciples believed in Okay, good. So there's that word believe that is our theme for this book. And it's here, this is the first time that the disciples see his glory. Right? So, you know, we, for me, um, I've slowly, uh, reluctantly probably come to understand what exactly is the glory of God, what's the glory of Jesus. And I think this is a piece of that puzzle that helps us understand the glory of the Father and the Son. Yeah, my, my question with this, whether this is the first miracle that he ever performed, or um, the, really, I just want to know why, why this to be the first of signs. John picks out seven signs, and he says there's many more miracles that he does, but this is the first one that he picks to be like Oh, this is it. I'm, I read this and I go, why you pick? I mean, all the others you look at and you go, he walked on water, or right. you know, he raised people from the dead, uh, that he made the lame to walk and blind to see. Picks this is like the first time. I, I'm just not seeing this glorification. And, and right. I would just like to know why, why this to be the sign of his glorification. Yeah. Did everybody hear that? Why? Uh, why this sign as his first? And I would say 
two things about the sign um, that that it's a wedding. Like what it almost seems um, odd to go here, possibly, um, and also why turn water to wine as the first miracle. So that was my big discussion question that I would like to to so let's spend a few minutes thinking about. What, what is that? What are your thoughts? Nick, do you have any? Certainly, the compassion of Jesus that um, a, w- a wedding is not insignificant to him, but that he's showing grace there, Robin. Not, you know, it doesn't indicate what that hour is. Is that 
to be glorified then, or is that talking about his crucifixion? Is that talking about just being manifested? Mm-hmm. If this is a sign for Israel, why didn't he tell Israel about it? It was hidden, but to everyone except his disciples and a few servants, and sure. maybe his mother. <laughs> so there's so many things there that I think we have to interpret from other other passages in the Bible. We come back to it, because this yes. wasn't written down for Israel at the time, that they could even read it then and say, oh, well, Jesus is making a statement to us about about these things. Right. So... Right, yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, sermons and Bible classes will title it The Mysterious Miracle at Cana, right? The Mysterious Wedding at Cana. What is this about, right? Um, uh, other thoughts? Uh, John, I think you've had your hand up for a while. Uh, in the ESC at the University of London, and his disciples believe in him. And so, um, you know, there may be some symbolic interpretation with, with all this. I think it's interesting Jesus doesn't explicitly, as far as we can tell, come out and say, here's the point of this miracle, right? Right. But what it says is that his disciples believed in him. So compared to like a human preacher up there, we're just evaluating based on the particular point he's trying to make, not necessarily who it is, right? It's Jesus is trying they they need to believe in him because he is the message. Right. Before he actually explains what the message is all about. Right, exactly. So this this message was to his disciples. They believed in him from this. They put their confidence in him and trusted in him after this. And Chris, to your point, it is interesting to to see the the mystery of this, but also think the larger historical context that this story has been read and told millions of times. And. It's not, it wasn't just for his disciples that day, but apparently it was for us today as well. God preserved it for us in the mind of John and in his writings, and we, we get to benefit from this as well. Um, other thoughts? Bob, yeah. As, as we look at all the miracles of Jesus, all the others are very, very public in the ancient. Right. Right out, right out with everybody now. This one's not so much. Uh, it's more of a secretive type of thing. Uh, and, and that may be my It's not, my time has not come for uh, announcing who I am. Right. Never going to be missed because people won't care for that. Right. But you still need to, to, for others to believe in a certain group that is mentioned later in the chapter is the disciples. Yes. And so they needed to believe. Uh, and so this miracle, and, and that maybe why he said, my hour is not yet come, I'm not going to do this publicly. Uh, but here's what. He didn't touch the water. He didn't, you know, do any physical display. He just told them to get the water and get it out. Right, yeah. And so that was enough for the disciples to believe. But right. it was not like Right, yeah, exactly. So, uh, Kate, you couldn't hear Bob. He's saying that um, this it was not as public as all the other signs that Jesus did. This was a little bit more private. And to that point, think about this. How could Jesus honor his mother and fulfill the principle that it wasn't his time yet? 
what better way to honor his mother and not disgrace her and do what she told him to do, but also not publicly display uh, his power in a way that was it wasn't his time yet. Um, just, I don't know, possibility of heaven. When we're looking at the conclusions that people draw after seeing the signs, the disciples believe. The head waiter says, wow, you saved the best for last. Jesus fulfills that as well. He is, he is the last, and he is better. Right. God saved the best for last as well. Good. Uh, yeah, Mike. I think the idea of, that you said him honoring his mother is, is absolutely true, because when you look at verse 4, um, and this was from a previous lesson that I heard, but this this word woman, you know, we, we say it, and it's almost a derogatory term. Right. right. But in the original, that is actually a term that is used to address a queen. So this is a queenly address he is giving to her. So he is honoring her, acknowledging that she is his mother and she is above others, maybe, right? This, this queenly address. And then he says, what does this, your yoga have with, and it says me, but that in the original, it's also a plural word. So it could have been translated us, meaning not me and his mother, but the Godhead, he and his father. And he went to talking about how he glorifies the son and the father. And so we see that as, as plural, how, um, what does this have to do with us, with the glorification of, of the son and the father? Right. So, so I, I think that even that verse 4 has got a lot of deep meaning that when we read over we don't really see until we, we look deeply into it. Yes, and uh, his other signs also seem to be accompanied with uh, some claim or some question about who he is and what he's doing. This doesn't really. There's no like, hey Jesus, who are you? This is kind of out of nowhere and Jesus responds in kind and uh, it is interesting. We don't know when the water was turned into wine. Jesus didn't do hocus pocus over it or anything like that. It doesn't seem like he just he didn't even touch it. He stood back and gave some orders, and all of a sudden it was wine. Um, so it's just again a mysterious um, thing for God to do. Bye. And also this being a wedding feast. How much more reaching of wedding feasts and such are going to be in his future? Right, exactly, yeah. So uh, let's consider uh, why uh, why a wedding feast? What what significance does a wedding feast have? Why even mention this? Like even if it was the first time that John saw Jesus do something he could not naturally explain. But why mention this at all? Because he can get, and they, it, no one knows when he's coming, 
Right. Yeah. Except for the father. Right. So there are even cultural overtones of weddings in Galilee. Of when does the bridegroom come? Only when the father is ready for him to come. And when does the son reveal his glory? Only when this time has come. Right. Other thoughts about why a wedding day? Yeah. Okay. pushing the envelope as far as cleansing, ceremonial cleansing. So it, I think Dave pointed out that it's interesting he took the ceremonial water pots and put wine in them. Uh, if there's any significance to that, did I capture that? That's kind of interesting. And also just the fact that um, God said in, in Joel that he was going to bring forth new wine. He's going to pour out his spirit and bring forth uh, something new and a new covenant. And here is uh, the, the beginning of the new covenant at a ceremony about uh, a covenant. And let me piggyback on that. A ceremony of the most important covenant outside of our relationship with God. And we pointed out how John chapter 1, the prologue especially, hints at Genesis 1 and all of those things. What happens right after creation? There's a marriage. So here, right after God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, and all of the beginnings and creation, there's a wedding. Um, the Roman Catholic Church uses this to conclude that Marriage is a sacrament. There are certain sacraments, and I don't understand the idea of a sacrament very well. But in a sacrament, Jesus is giving you the divine. The divine is given to you through a sacrament. So there are seven sacraments. Baptism. The divine is given to you through baptism. Um, now, I don't think there's a whole lot... Uh, to that, and I don't understand that idea. However, 
it is interesting that Jesus is um, reminding us and sanctioning uh, this marriage that we know represents our relationship with God. Jesus' relationship with the, ch- with the church is a marriage. And here Jesus is sanctioning that holy, um, divine relationship. Okay. Very good, very good. Yes, so let's use that as a a transition point. Would you stand while we read um, the next section? We'll start in verse 12. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those he sold, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Okay, so um, what did you notice? What observations did you make reading through uh, that text this time? In verse 22, um, the disciples uh, recall what Jesus said uh, at the end of all things, but in verse 17, he uh, they bring this scripture to mind immediately, this zeal for uh, your house is eaten me up, this uh, reference to the Psalms of a man who is trying to do the right thing, ending up getting in trouble. And so I, I find that pretty interesting. Yes, yeah. Um, I would love to take the time to read Psalm 69 because it is fascinating to look at that in context. Um, so I don't have time for that, but uh, let me just put that um, teaser in your ear there. Uh, read that Psalm 69. Boy. This wasn't a shoe ass to get out of here. 
Right, right. So Lloyd said he noticed this time around that Jesus made a whip. Um, so this this wasn't just get out of here, shoot. This was this was intimidating. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, we talked about this, and that's why I primed you guys. So he, they asked for a sign. Uh, Micah said, it sounds like they asked for a miraculous sign. Like, show us something that proves you can do this. Um, but could it have been that he already gave them a sign, not uh, of his authority, uh, a sign, a miraculous sign, but rather an illustration of something? What? What sign is he, could he be giving them? What's he trying to teach them this? What principle could, could they have gathered? Uh, it stands out to me just how he's cleansing this temple, cleansing the house of God. It sort of reminds me of what we studied about in Leviticus. of what, When there was leprosy in the house... You cleansed it. You purged it of everything, of, it, of all that impurity. And so, good. So, cleansing is definitely a thing. Right? I was going to say he cleansed the, the physical temple. In comparison, he compared his body. He said, "This temple will be torn out," and he is preparing the people for when our temples become the temple of God. So, he's trying to really get some spiritual movement going on here, especially with the apostles, because they're going, in three years, they're going to be responsible for taking all of this to the world. And so this isn't just a cleansing of a physical temple. He did. He, I mean, he, he cleansed it out. But then he goes right into his body being the temple, and it's going to be torn. It's going to be torn out. So is the physical temple. It's right. going away. Right. So he's trying to prepare their minds to, to, to move over to realizing, to teach all of us how our bodies are the temple of God. Right. So he, he reminds, or he gives them this, and John tells us he was talking about his body as a temple. What about their bodies? Is their bodies, are their bodies a temple? And, were their temples needing to be clean, cleansed? Was he showing them that these are the attitudes you have in your heart? You've totally forsaken the what you're supposed to take from this temple. What this temple is supposed to mean to you. And it's not that you've just made a bad judgment. It's that you have an attitude of heart that needs to be cleansed that led you to this. Wow. I think it's Scripture saying, you know, this is all wrong. 
and so he casts them out. And then as one by one authority, uh, they weren't going to accept any authority from him right now. But the most, the end line of all authority is the fact that he died on the cross and raised to live forever. Very good, yeah. Um, so, Bob well, just pointed out that the water pots, which I forgot to um, show you what those, these were actually found uh, in, in a site that's supposed to be in Canaan. One supposed location of Canaan. I think there, there are a couple different places that it could be. Um, but yeah, Bob pointed out that those weren't being used. The temple was being used only improperly, and they were in the wrong place. That was one of my questions. What are your thoughts regarding um, the the problem? What, what, why was this a problem that this was going on in the temple? Uh, Bob said they were doing it in the wrong place. Other thoughts? And let me just kind of throw that out there for more comments. Uh, back to what we were just talking yeah. about first. Just, I'm not sure this is chronological with what's happening there. It really seems to fit with all the other accounts that are, this is after his triumphal entry. Um, you don't have to agree with that. But just that you have a sign. That, and like I was alluding to, that this water turned to wine seems like a minor sign compared to the others. But his disciples believe. And here he's indicating the, like, the biggest sign of all. And these people won't believe. And so, like you said, it's kind of thematically, he kind of works things together. And yes. just the fact that I, chapter breaks are you know, inspired, but that you have here grouped together two separate things that seem almost diametrically opposed of water to wine and then turning down the temple and rebuilding it in three days. It seems like huge. Right. And that these people don't believe because of that. And Micah asked us, you know, to keep reading back those first 18 verses, right. chapter 1, and you have darkness that doesn't comprehend it. And then you have those who believe, uh, not by the will of man, but by God. And so you just continue to have these kind of discrepancies between his believers that, man, they, they believe at the, the first inkling almost. And then you have these people that will never comprehend it, that are just, it doesn't matter what you do, they'll never believe Right. Yeah. Ryan? Right. Uh, just going back to Genesis chapter 1 or chapter 1, so that kind of word cleanse has an agricultural undertone of pulling weeds out of gardens and pruning dead branches out of trees. And so at some level, I mean, this is, this was Adam's, this was Adam's work to go spread the garden amongst the, amongst the weeds. And so at some level, the sign is Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just alternatively, 
Maybe he's already what? Already pledged fidelity. Okay. He's already, already claimed that, taken that covenant. The people, on the other hand, have not. And we've seen prophets after they take that kind of vow to, to, to pledge themselves to marriage to an unfaithful bride. Right, yeah. Yeah, and there, there definitely is a theme with uh, Jesus being pledged to an unfaithful bride. Unfaithful bride. Israel was unfaithful, and he showed us that through um, Hosea, right? And so, uh, yeah. Other other thoughts? Yeah, Mike. A couple things, real quick. Um, when we look at verse twenty-three. It could indicate that Jesus had already done signs before he even went into the temple. It says when he was in Jerusalem before the feast, many believed in him because of the signs that he can do. So it could have been they were asking this question and they probably had already seen different signs that he had already done. And plus the very fact that he was in the temple, one man driving out all of these people, um, a man that the Jews questioned his authority all the time, but yet no one laid a hand on him to stop him from doing it. So that could be another physical sign that he had authority and no one was going to be able to stop him from doing it. Right, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and he, he's going to say uh, all authority has been given to me. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. Uh, the other thing I think I'm seeing is the foundation that John the Baptist laid so that when, when Jesus comes on the, on the scene, there's sort of an understanding or something like there's already a, a ground swell of people that sort of expect him to do certain things. Right. You kind of get the feeling that there's. There's something in the air that's just happening, and maybe John is the one that kind of got this atmosphere and this feeling that something big was about to happen because um, uh, of, of his teaching. Who knows all the, the things that he um, started to leave people in. And even chapter 4, John Baptist even recognizes Jesus as the bridegroom, and he says, I'm just, I'm just the best friend. You know, and so he's the one we need to be looking to. And the, the wedding of Cana is probably a good thing for that, of uh, him being presented as the, the new bridegroom. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Other thoughts? We've got a couple minutes left here. Let's read a few verses of Psalm 69 just to, just to see. It's interesting. Um, the Pharisees asked for a sign. Jesus has given them a truth that they need to realize about themselves. Then he gives them a sign that will be fulfilled later. That sign is his death and resurrection. Uh, in Psalm 96, uh, Psalm 69, rather, where we see this quoted about the zeal for the house of the Lord, uh, We'll just read until the bell rings. Save me, O God, for the... I'm in verse 1 of Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depth where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me 
I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. So it's interesting that the psalm that comes to mind is a psalm that speaks more about the sign, the miracle that Jesus is about to do, raising, being raised from the dead, uh, than, and then what he's doing in the temple. Um, so, uh, further uh, wonder from, and, and marvel on, on my end, from the wisdom of Jesus and, and how and God and how all this played out. Um, thank you for your attention. We'll look at chapter 3 on Wednesday. Uh, read through that, become familiar with it, um, jot down your ideas and what you notice and what you observe and bring those to class for us to, to discuss.